The only problem with this new pulpit, isn't it beautiful, is that you have to look at my back while I do this. I could leave it where it was, but I'm never content to leave things where they are at. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we can be here again this morning. Lord, thank you that we can sing your praises and we can worship the Holy One. That we can worship God incarnate, our Saviour. Lord, we pray that now as we continue to worship and look at your word, I pray that you would help us to hear what you are saying to, to us this morning. Lord, I pray that we would have open hearts and open minds. That we might listen and truly hear. That we might be encouraged. And that we might look again to you. Amen. Over the last few weeks, uh, for those of you that haven't been here at all for the last three weeks, four weeks almost, we've been making our way through Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, uh, a small, you could almost say a backwards town um, in, in a backwards Roman province. And each week as we've been going through the book so far, Paul has just been hammering home again and again and again just how important Jesus Christ is for us. How brilliant it is that He is in us. I did a quick count as Rachel was reading. Um, Paul says, Christ in us, or, or along those lines, eight times in just the verses that we read this morning. And, and he says it over and over and over again throughout this letter that he wrote. We've seen a few weeks ago that, that, that Jesus Christ is the one who made all things. We saw that, that Jesus Christ is God's plan for the universe with bones on Him. Just last week we, we saw how Jesus Christ is a treasure that you and I cannot even begin to imagine. And we have Him in us. We have that treasure. One of the books I'm reading at the moment um, is, is called Lost and Found. And it's, it's a book that looks at the whole question of how the church can reach young adults. Um, basically looking at what they call unchurched young adults, late teens to mid-twenties. It's a fascinating book. And one of the stats that it gives at the start is that of, of all the unchurched, people who don't go to church, young adults that they surveyed, Oh, 73%, 73% said that although they weren't Christian, although they don't go to church, they do consider themselves to be spiritual. I'm really fascinated with the, the place where our world is at at the moment, especially here in the West. I mean, there are so few people following after Jesus, but, but, but we are fascinated with spiritual ideas, spiritual things. Um, I mean, think of the entertainment that we watch. TV, you've got um, medium. You've got um, supernatural. You've got twilight. I believe that's a movie as well. 
I don't know who wants to watch about vampires, but apparently people do. I mean, our world is just fascinated by the supernatural. And, and in a way, I can understand it. People have this, Ecclesiastes 3 calls it a sense of eternity, this, this emptiness that they want to have filled. And so they're looking all over to see how their lives can find meaning and fulfillment. But you know, I, I worry for the church today like Paul worried for the church in Colossae that some Christians might find what the world has to offer enticing and tempting. Even though, like the robot mother replacement, it's obviously of second-rate quality. And as Paul says in a moment, no quality at all. So, says Paul, beginning of our passage, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 of Colossians, we need, as Christians, to continue to live in Christ just as we received Him as Lord. In other words, what Paul is saying is that... (coughs) I'm getting so excited, I'm choking on my own throat. Uh, In other words, says Paul, uh, our, our faith in Jesus Christ has to be the driving force for our lives. It, it has to be the directing force that, that drives us in a certain direction that, that leads us and our choices and everything we do. Um, Paul says that, that, that when we have received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in Him. In other words, says Paul, we have accepted Him as ruler and king and the one who has authority over our lives and now we need to live as if that is true. I mean, we know that that a Christian is someone who has come to realize that Jesus is more than just a man, more than than a good prophet or a good teacher or a or a, or a good person or whatever. I mean, we've come to realize we've been told the truth, we've been taught the good news, and, and we've been left with that knowledge, uh, one choice, to submit to Jesus as Lord over our lives or not. You read through the book of Colossians, well, the letter of Colossians, Paul's pretty keen on the idea that being a Christian is all about knowing God and knowing God's will for us in Jesus. And if we have that knowledge of who Jesus is, if we have received that and we have accepted it as true that He is our Lord, then that knowledge must set the direction of our lives. Because our lives are in Christ. He is in us. <laughs> what, what does that mean? I mean, this is, this is Paul's favorite phrase. In Christ, in Him, with Christ, with Him. What does it mean? Well, Paul goes on in verse 7 and, and he explains a little bit. He tells us that, that to, to live our lives in Christ means that we're rooted in Him. Uh, if you think about a, a, a tree, if 
For those of you who aren't gardeners, let me explain what happens. You put the tree in the ground, the roots go out, and, and they suck up all the moisture and nutrients that the tree needs to grow. Um, obvious stuff. And the stronger the root system is into the ground, the more the tree can resist against the wind blowing against its canopy, trying to topple it to the ground. And I think what Paul is suggesting to us in, in chapter 2, verse 7 of Colossians is that as Christians, our roots, our faith, are sunk into nothing less than Jesus Christ Himself. As Christians, He is the source of all that we need to live. And He is the, the anchor for our souls that, that holds us safe against the storms of life. Um, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 17 and listen to what Jeremiah says about this, the same image. Jeremiah 17 verses 7 and 8. He writes, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who has confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. And it doesn't fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. And it never fails to bear fruit. Because we are planted next to the living water that is Christ. We are rooted in Him. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian. And Paul goes on in verse 7 and and he explains some more what it means to live in Christ. He says, uh, uh, living in Jesus means being built up in Him, being strengthened in the faith. The NIV doesn't make it particularly clear, but, but when Paul wrote those things down, he's, he's writing in the present tense. In other words, he's saying, to live in Christ is to now be being built up in Him. To live in Christ is to, at this very moment, be being strengthened in the faith. Is even now allowing our faith to grow into every single nook and cranny of our very existence. I mean, go back to his first image of a tree growing. I mean, when you plant a tree in the ground, it doesn't stay the same size. And in the same way, when we are planted in Christ, when our faith rests and, and draws on Jesus Christ, who we are changes. We go from being this weedy little sapling to a slightly less weedy little sapling. And one day we will be presented like Jesus before the throne of God the Father. We're changed because of where we are rooted. Because Jesus is building us up, growing our faith, growing our understanding of what it means to be His child. So it says Paul to us in verses 6 and 7, brothers and sisters, continue to live in Him in whom you have rooted yourself 
you know the side effect of all of this? The side effect of, of living in Christ, of, 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 of allowing Him to strengthen us and, and to support us and to grow us. The side effect, the end of verse 7, writes Paul to the Colossians, writes Paul to us, you will be overflowing with thankfulness. Be so enthralled by what we have in Christ that you just can't keep it in. It, it just has to out. You just have to show it to the world. It's, it's like having your soul on high beams, your, your smile on high beams, thankfulness overflowing for over your life into all aspects of where you go and where you are. Anyone else smiling here? How wonderful what you Serious faces. Serious is good, by the way. <laughs> How many thankful Christians do you know? Let, let me change that. Because there are lots. Are you, am I, overflowing with thankfulness? Or is perhaps that thankfulness just a little bit lower? Maybe it's lapping at the brim of your soul. Maybe it's even lower than that, that you drop a pebble in it and you wait 35 seconds and in the distance you hear a a soft plop. If you're thankful overflowing this morning, praise the Lord. But keep listening. If this morning you say, well, my thankfulness isn't quite overflowing into all that I am and all that I do, feeling a bit disillusioned at the moment. If that's you, then what Paul is writing in today's passage is particularly directed at you today. Because that place where we are not overflowing with thankfulness is a dangerous place for us Christians to be you know, when we're disillusioned with God, it's, it, it, it's then that we can so easily be tempted and enticed by other ideas and other philosophies and, and, and other people saying that, that we need to do more to be sure of our salvation. I mean, maybe there comes a time, if not now in the future, when your life is really stressful and your friend comes to you and says, let's go and try some yoga. We'll give you a clear mind and give you inner peace. I don't want to pick on yoga, but it's dangerous. There are so many ideas out there claiming to be able to complete us, claiming to be able to fill that void, that that sense of eternity that God has placed within us. 
So many people that come and say, do this, but your life will be perfect. Your life will be good. Your life will be happy and the best life it can be. That's what Paul says in verse 8 of of chapter 2. There are those who would take us captive again by hollow and deceptive ideas. Ideas and philosophies and religions that would claim much, but says Paul, they're actually void of value. Philosophies that, 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 that ultimately offer us an alternative to Jesus. That say, we will fill you. What this does is, this will give you everything you need. And Paul writes to the Colossians and he writes to us, maybe now, maybe when you find yourself in a situation like that, he writes and he says, no, 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 nothing can fill you the way you are filled. Nothing can make you more thankful than than, than you already should be for what you have in Christ because, he goes on verse 10, we have already been given fullness in Christ the one who is above all powers and above all authorities. We've been given, verse 9, Jesus Christ. And there can be no substitute for Him because He is God Himself. Says Paul to us, we have fullness in Christ. As people who follow Him, our lives are complete in Jesus. I mean, just stop and think about what Paul is really saying there. We have Christ in us. We we have fullness in Christ in whom, verse 9, the fullness of God dwells. All the fullness of God Himself in Christ, in us. More than enough to fill us a hundred million times over. I mean, if I may describe it this way, if your life was a motel, the no vacancy sign is buzzing like an angry mosquito at the front. There is no more room. Anybody who says they can fill our lives better or more completely is lying. Absolutely lying. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. You've got this beautiful jigsaw puzzle and it's complete. There's not a single piece missing. And then somebody else comes along and says, Oh, look at this new piece of jigsaw puzzle. It's going to make your picture look so much better. Your picture's not the same if it doesn't have this jigsaw piece in it. up. Nothing can improve upon the finished picture that is ours in Christ. There are no powers, no authorities that can add more meaning to our lives, that can give more purpose to our existence. Jesus is fullness of life defined. 
But, but maybe somebody comes up and says to you, how do you know? How do you know that that's all been done? How do you know that you're full? full? How do you know that you're really a Christian? How do you know that God's going to accept you into his kingdom one day? I'll tell you what you do. You need to do this and you need to do that. And you need to just take this checklist and tick off all the right things and tick off all the things that you're not going to do. Follow this idea and you'll be right. Reading between the lines, it seems to me that that the church in Colossae had some Jewish people coming along saying exactly that sort of thing to them. Arguing that, that if they really wanted to be sure that they were saved, they had to become Jews. They had to be circumcised. They, they had to become a part of God's people. I mean, back in the Old Testament, when God gave um, the sign of circumcision to Abraham, it was, it was a sign that Abraham and his descendants belonged to God, that, that they were God's special chosen people. But it seems to me that, that over time the Jewish nation, they confused the sign with what it stood for. Because right from the start, True circumcision, writes Paul in Romans uh, somewhere else, it's a God thing. It's, it's God basically going to Abraham then and saying, you are my people. And hasn't he spoken those words, those same words, you are my people, so clearly to us, through Jesus, in the grave, raised from the dead, And this new circumcision, which, which Paul speaks about in verses um, 11, 12, I think it is. Yeah, verse 11, 12. It's so much more than the old sign was. I mean, symbolically that was cutting off a little bit of flesh, minor operation, but, but in Christ we've had major surgery, says Paul. Our old self, our, our sinful nature has been cut off. We've died to what we were. And we were raised with Him as His. That's what Paul says. He says in baptism, we're buried with Christ. We were raised with Him. It's a a sign to all people that we are His people. We are His children. And let's not confuse uh, the sign and what it stands for. That, that's a mistake that the Jews made. Let's not repeat it. Uh, faith comes first. Baptism, like circumcision, is just a sign of that faith. Uh, Romans 4.11, uh, Paul says exactly that. I think what Paul is trying to say to us in verses 11, 12, first bit of 13 of chapter 2 is that we are God's people been announced on the cross of Christ. 
Nothing can make us more his. No ritual, no list of to-dos, no list of to-don'ts. We are his. But you know, so often us Christians fall into this, this trap of legalism where we say, well, we have to do more to be sure that we will be saved and, and we won't do this and we, and we won't hang out with that kind of people because they're not holy people like us. And, 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 and we have these checklists as if that makes us any more Christian. I am a citizen of Australia. Believe it or not. If I went out over the next few months and I went to get some voice coaching to lose my accent and become a true blue Aussie, would that make me any more an Australian citizen? I mean, of course not. Uh, my, my citizenship certificate doesn't say Nicholas Van Rieder Van Oetzen, Australian citizen, brackets, bad accent. It just says Australian citizen. <laughs> Please don't amend it. <laughs> and yes, all goes on. Once upon a time, there was a time when I wasn't a citizen. Says Paul, verse 13, once we were dead in our sins. Um, following the footnote of the NIV there, once we were uncircumcised, we weren't part of God's people. But praise the Lord, in Christ we have been made alive, we have been given life, we have been forgiven. I mean, the cross is dealt with with everything that stands, that stood between us and God himself. The written law, says Paul, cancelled. Powers and authorities, says Paul, disarmed, disrobed, mocked, vanquished. Says Paul, this, this good and holy law, which did nothing but show me how bad and unholy I am, it can no longer accuse us because of the cross of Christ. Before Jesus, it stood there saying, would you look at John? Oh, this man has done this, and he's done that, and he's done the next thing, blah, 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 blah. But then comes the cross of Christ and the law is gone. Paul, I love his graphic language, he says God took that and he nailed it into the cross. And Jesus died under that law for our stead, says Paul, and the law has no more say against us. In verse 15, the powers and authorities disarmed and disrobed is, is what the word actually means. They made a public spectacle of. In Roman days, they, they didn't have Facebook and Twitter. When you beat an enemy army, you would take them captive and parade them through the streets, looking as bedraggled as you could possibly make them. You'd make a spectacle of them. Everyone would know that they were beaten. Isn't it, isn't it ironic, looking at verse 15? I mean, this is the secret wisdom of the cross. Jesus went, he was disrobed, he was made a spectacle of, 
it seemed like he had been triumphed over. And God turns around and says, "Ah, the powers and authorities, they've been disrobed. They've been vanquished. They have been made a laughing stock, a public spectacle. You might say, well, who are these powers and, and who are these authorities? I'd like to suggest that these powers and authorities at which Paul says, let's, let's laugh and see them in their true light, they are the ones at the back of verse 8 who are trying to deceive us with these empty and hollow and useless philosophies and ideas. And Paul says, just look at them in light of the cross. They are a joke. They are powerless. Tell me you're not thankful about that. (laughs) This morning Paul has been writing to us and he's been wanting to remind us that we have all we need in Christ. And isn't that something worth celebrating? Isn't that something worth being thankful for? I mean, that's what Paul has been doing this morning. He's been taking our heads in his hands, if I may, John, I'm picking on John today, and turning us. He's saying, look, I won't do it to all of you. You can do it to yourselves. Hands on heads, turning yourself. <laughs> I can't believe some of you did that. It says, Jesus, look at things in the right perspective. It says, Paul, see what really is true here. This is what you've been rooted in. And you know, being thankful for all of this I mean, thankfulness isn't an emotional response so much, is it? Thankfulness flows from from understanding what it is that we've been given. And there's an old saying, don't look a gift horse in a mouth. Uh, The idea being, I believe, uh, you can spot how bad a horse is by its teeth. It's a good saying. My mother taught it to me. But you know, if somebody gave me a thoroughbred racing horse that, that wins every single race, I'm going to be much more thankful than if they give me an old nag with two teeth in it. Says Paul, we have been given so, so, so much. There's so much to be thankful for. Fullness of life. Membership into God's people, God's family. Forgiveness of sins. Freedom from powers and authorities. And if that's not enough to give thanks till the cows come home and go out again the next morning. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. Rooted, built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And overflowing with thankfulness.
Amen.